millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, this is Virginia. Events over recent years have highlighted racial inequalities across the globe, and Australia is not an exception. Here at Broad Talk, we recognise that the path towards true reconciliation is the responsibility of all of us, all the time. In that spirit, we acknowledge the traditional owners of the country on which we record this podcast, the Ngunnawal and Ngambri people, and pay our respects to the Elders past, present and emerging. The system is broken. I don't get the rules at all. How far can we work within a system that we need to get rid of? I think men feel somehow women's liberation is a threat to their manhood. And it is. Tragically, I couldn't give a shit whether you think... I have a right to speak up about anything or not. People who make revolutions get burnt. We started it here! Maybe, you know, I've got some sort of crazy speak up about it mental illness. Change takes time. Do you have any regrets? No. Hello and welcome to Broad Talk, the Change Makers series. And I hope that opening sting makes you smile as much as it does me. Hi there, I'm Virginia Housker, and it's so lovely to have your company for this very special series that we're bringing you in partnership with MOAD, the Museum of Australian Democracy, housed in Canberra's old Parliament House, where I've had the wonderful honour of guest curating a new exhibition on Australian women change makers. And in this series, we dive into the personal stories of some of those outstanding women and I ask them about the big moment, the moment that fired them into action, the challenges, the failures along the way, and believe me, there are many of those, the source of inspiration and importantly, the cost, both personally and professionally, the cost of being a change maker. So stick with us for this series as you're in for a feast of raw and very real inspiring stories. Today, I want to introduce you to Dr. Bronwyn King, AO. Bronwyn is a lung cancer oncologist at the world-leading Peter McCallum Institute in Melbourne. She is a petite woman with a global-sized ambition and brain to match. After a casual conversation way back in 2010, revealed to Bronwyn that her superannuation fund was actually investing in tobacco companies Bronwyn saw red. 
and think about it, here she was working as a cancer oncologist at Peter Mac and found out that, in fact, her own money was going towards big tobacco companies. So at that moment, when this was casually mentioned to her, that moment actually changed the course of her life. She went on to set up the anti-tobacco campaign, Tobacco-Free Portfolios. Now, since then, Bronwyn has started a global movement to effectively defund tobacco companies. She's managed to get finance leaders around the world to funnel $12.5 trillion, that's trillion with a T, $12.5 trillion away from tobacco companies. Bronwyn, Hello. Hello. Hello, Virginia. Thank you so much for having me here. Look, it's fantastic to have you here and I've been wanting to speak with you for such a long time. I've got to ask you this, Bronwyn. Do you think that the uh, tobacco giants around the world might have Bronwyn King voodoo dolls hanging around their offices in which they poke pins of rage? (laughs) Do you think they really have it in for you? Uh, well, actually, um, it's it's terrible to start on such a sombre note, but we know that that's in fact true. Um, we know that um, that all of us at Tobacco Free Portfolios are on that list, whatever that list is. I'm not sure about the voodoo dolls, but we are on a list and we're being watched very closely by Big Tobacco. We know that for sure. And in fact, many people have said that that's really a great compliment to our work. Well, look, I, I meant it as a, a compliment, not to, to start on a downer, but um, my first thought was when I first started researching you a long time ago is, my goodness, she must be tough. She must be tough because they would really be coming for you, I would imagine, particularly because you have been so successful in getting companies around the world to move money away from them. It's 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 an extraordinary achievement. Well, yeah, thank you. I think, I think rather than me being tough so much, I think that the real drive behind what I do is is in fact the patients that I treated who were no longer here. And I think it's been incredibly empowering. I'm really driven by the fact that I have watched so many people die from tobacco-related illness. Most of them are gone. They're not here. But I have their stories and uh, and I feel like I've been put in this incredible position where I can create some change and I feel really obliged to do that and empowered to do that and uh, and also it's very freeing when the issue, in fact, has nothing to do with you yourself. I'm not a smoker. I have nothing to do with it. But I'm really driven by making things better for the next generation. I'm interested to know how you describe yourself, though, because you've been described, given you have won so many awards, not only here in Australia but around the world for the work that you do and you've been described in all sorts of ways such as you know, a social entrepreneur and a, a leading movement maker, love that title, a movement maker, a power woman with ceaseless determination, a force of nature. But I'm interested to know how do you describe yourself? <laughs> I've never really thought about it. I haven't really thought about it. I mean I do have a lot of staying power, that's for sure, and uh, I was once described in a um, in an article as sunnily optimistic, <laughs> and um, and that became a bit of our family vernacular. Um, Bronwyn being sunnily optimistic, but I think that that's probably helped actually because there have been so many setbacks and frustrations and delays, and and it's been hard to to not get impatient at times because the change happens really slowly sometimes even when it shouldn't even when it's obvious and 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 really the way forward is very clear but i have yeah i have got a lot of staying power and that and and i know that i'm 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 just <laughs> i just won't stop 
I'm, I'm going to jump right back to your early beginnings, your early education and um, the school you went to, because when you speak of staying power, it reminds me. The school you went to was um, Fintana in, in Melbourne. And I know the school motto there was do one thing at a time and do it thoroughly. Your laser sharp focus on this issue, this anti-tobacco issue and, and defunding tobacco companies, when you say you've got staying power, it has stayed with you solidly for the last 12 years. Is that early influence of that sort of school motto, is that something you really allowed to embed in your brain? Is, is that what's behind your determination? Look, I think that it's funny that you use that exact definition because it's a, it's an old Latin motto, Arge Quod Argus, and um, I think there's a few different translations, but the one that I, I was perhaps a little bit more familiar with, and forgive me if my Latin's terrible, I don't think that's my strong it's point a lot, here. It's a lot um, <laughs> I wasn't even going to attempt it. No, but it's, um, but it, it, it's do what you do well, and I do like that. I do uh-huh. like that. Um, I like that general vibe, do what you do well. If you're going to have a crack at something, give it a real shot. And look, in my early years, so when I was at school, I also was a competitive swimmer. And uh, my dream was, in fact, to represent Australia um, for swimming. And I was a very nice junior swimmer. I did represent Australia at the junior level. Um, unfortunately, I, I sustained a nasty injury and I never made it to sort of the, um, the Commonwealth Games or the Olympic Games like I'd hoped. But that discipline of elite swimming coupled with a school environment that was endlessly supportive Mm. um, was an incredible start to life for me and taught me a lot of things that I've continued on in my career, not just in medicine, but with tobacco-free portfolios. I think you're being modest when you say, yes, you you represented Australia. I mean, your swimming was extraordinary and obviously your training discipline was incredible as well. Um, I've got to just throw in here that you did win. You were the woman. <laughs> was it the first woman to win the peer-to-pub race that's held in Lawn, which is famous now around the world? It's a really, really tough ocean race and you won it. I did. I was 16 years old. I wasn't the first woman to win, but I would have been one of the youngest and especially because the year after I won it, they changed the age group to make it older. But I was 16 years old when I won the Open Women's Peter Pub and it, it, that taught me an awful lot of things. One is don't enter the Peter Pub when you're 16 years old because you can't go to the pub afterwards to celebrate. So that kind of ruined it a little bit. Um, but the other very interesting thing when I swam the Peter Pub was that uh, I was really just doing it because all my friends were doing it and mm. uh, I'd never swum an open water race before in my entire life. But halfway through the race, which was a, it was all arms and legs and a lot of splashing at the start, and, but halfway through the race once it had settled down, I saw one woman in front of me wearing this pink hat and she was actually swimming with a man who was protecting her and every time I tried to go around her, he would push me further off path Wow! And so right in the middle of this race, I had this extraordinary moment. And what I ended up doing after trying multiple times, left, right, left, right, and I couldn't do anything, I went completely off course. I did a a 90-degree turn in the middle of the race to do this huge loop to get around this woman. And Hmm. I did get around and I did end up winning. And, Hmm. uh, And it really taught me how, you know, in life, no matter what you do, there will be a barrier, there will be a challenge, there will be something that might seem insurmountable. And maybe you have to completely go off course for a minute, but that's okay as long as you never, ever lose focus on the goal you're trying to achieve. I find that really fascinating, Bronwyn, because you've described your 
pathway. And as I said, you've been working on the uh, anti-tobacco portfolio pathway now for a dozen years. But that pretty much came around by by accident. It was was quite sort of incidental, this conversation that you had that then made you realise that your money was being invested in tobacco companies and you, as I said, saw red and wanted to change that. But a number of things that have happened in your life, you you were you thought you'd work in sports medicine, you didn't, you ended up in oncology, I think you've even said by mistake. So a number of things have happened such that you've changed the course of what you do and I'm wondering, is that because you are a, a someone who really believes in intuitive direction? Mm, Gosh, that's such a good question. Look, life has taken me on a funny journey and I think I've always been really open to opportunities. I remember many years ago when I was working full-time as a doctor, quite early in my medical career, I remember sitting around with some of my friends and saying, look, if you had all the money in the world, what would you do? And I remember saying, I'd love to run a global charity. That was my answer. And about 10 years later, I was still doing medicine and I had tobacco-free portfolios up and running. And I think it was probably about 2015 or 16 when we just started to take our global steps. And I remember driving home from work going, oh, my gosh. It happened. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I just, yes. It's like, wow, I've got a glow. I, but I, did, I had never thought I would make the charity myself, but then I realised maybe that's what I'd been working to all this time. That's what I was real, really sort of that's what I was really attracted to. And so I think devoting myself to something with purpose and uh, something that energises me has always been a goal. And even though I never could have imagined I would have ended up working in sustainable finance and flying around the world, mm-hmm. talking to big business leaders about how they could become more sustainable and, and more healthy and more aligned with the global health sector, I never imagined that would be it. But mm-hmm. I do distinctly remember when I discovered my money was invested in big tobacco, I do distinctly remember thinking, this is it. I actually thought that at the moment. This is it. This This is is something I can, yeah, this Mm. is something I can get my teeth stuck into. I could just, and I could just, it, it was such a funny moment because I was just standing there at the cafeteria at the hospital. But I remember thinking, I could, I could have a go at this. This could work because of, my experience, because of being a doctor, because of knowing what I know, I think I could have a go at this. And so, you know, I mean, it has been a crazy journey since then. But It's been yeah. an amazing journey. So let's jump forward then. So about a year later, you, you, you immediately started work on this idea of getting finance organisations, including super funds, indeed your own super fund, to stop backing or investing in tobacco companies. By the next year, you were giving a, a board presentation to one particular fund and the year later that fund publicly announced that it would no longer back tobacco and uh, invest in tobacco and that was that was a, a D or moving away $200 million from um, tobacco companies. And the press release that went out um, included you and Peter McCallum. So it was sort of a joint thing, which makes me want to know how quickly did you or how important was it to you that in doing this thing that you wanted to do, that you had institutional backing such as Peter McCallum? It's not something that you were just out there doing on your own as Bronwyn King. Well, at right at the start, that was how I, I secured the meeting. So once I found out I was invested in tobacco, I realised it was, in fact, all of the healthcare workers at the hospital who, who were in the same boat. And I knew that nobody 
at Peter McCallum would feel comfortable investing in big tobacco, given that one in three cancer patients worldwide has cancer because of tobacco. So there couldn't be a more understanding cohort of people than than the team of healthcare professionals at Peter Mac. So I raised it with the CEO of the hospital and immediately he arranged for me to meet with the executive team at my super fund, at our super fund, and that's what kicked it all off. Um, so it was obviously very good to have the backing of the hospital, but also I, I got I, I got my mentor involved, Professor David Ball, who's one of the best lung cancer doctors in the world. He's just retired after a, a, a glittering career globally, um, and uh, and I got him involved as well because I thought at first it would be very helpful to have somebody of his gravitas stand beside me while I was trying to make the case. So, yeah, but it, it was great to have an institution behind behind the, the concept from the start. All along the way, you have had extraordinary people standing beside you, with you, uh, supporting you. Um, you, you. You have an incredible wealth of um, supporters globally. Um, among your ambassadors, there's a princess. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are... Presidents, mm-hmm. there are, um, <laughs> you know, um, leading CEOs, big celebrities, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. How have you managed to get people like that to to come on board with you? Well, I think our, one of our mottos at Tobacco Free Portfolios is that we name and fame. We name, name and, fame. and fame. I like it. And what that means is that we, when we meet with the finance sector, we have very discreet, off the record discussions and work with them uh, to empower them with knowledge, information and uh, and work with them as long as it takes until they land on tobacco-free. And when they do land on tobacco-free, we're the first ones to congratulate them, thank them and applaud them and, and publicly recognise them for what is a fantastic leadership decision. I've never met a finance leader who feels good about having financial affiliations with tobacco companies. It's simply that that's just how the system has always worked for decades. And so really we provide them with a solution and we make them feel great about it. We also make them really understand that the global crisis of tobacco can't be fixed without them. So there's this really important place for them when they do make that decision. And almost always they feel fantastic once they make the decision and uh, we end up having a fantastic relationship with them. And nearly always they will very kindly open up their little black book and say, look, my friend is the CEO of this organisation. Mm-hmm. Why don't you go and meet mm-hmm. meet him or her or would you like to come to this event? And, and so it's been such a good-spirited development of the network that it's been such a pleasure to be involved in this. But when you meet, when you talk about the princess, I mean, I, I always say to people, if you're trying to create a global movement, I highly recommend you get a princess on your team. <laughs> um, that has been a that has been a fantastic strategic uh, decision for us. And it's, it's um, a great idea. I'm sure. I'm not sure we can all get <laughs> real princesses. Maybe a few pretend ones. <laughs> Oh, well, we've got, so it's Princess Dina Murad of Jordan, who is just such a brilliant, passionate mover and shaker. And she's a a wonderful, wonderful woman. She's the former president of the uh, Union for International Cancer Control. And she always says her most important title is that she's the mother of a cancer survivor. Mm-hmm. Her son suffered from a cancer when he was very young. He's now well and in his mid-20s. But she um, has been a, a remarkable global advocate for cancer care. And uh, and when I met her, we got along fabulously and she has been a, a brilliant ambassador for us. So, Bronwyn, when you have got these extraordinary people on board, is it the, the data and the science that, that wins them over or is it also... 
Well, I'm just wondering how much of the the attraction is the relationship you build up with them and also the stories that you have to share with them? Look, it's a good question. I think that it's different for each person and each organisation that we work with, but I think it's important to remember that the leaders of the world today are the children of the generation where everybody smoked. Mm. And as a result, I don't think there's anyone around now in their 50s, 60s or 70s who doesn't personally know somebody who's died as a result of tobacco because all of the people who were born in the, you know, in the 20s or 30s, everybody smoked back then. Mm. So there's a lot of memory in terms of the impact of tobacco. People really understand it. And, um, and sometimes it's personal memory. It's family memory. Mm. People have lost their parents, their brothers, their, their, you know, very special loved ones, their neighbours, their mentors. So I think that that has certainly helped progress the decision because if anybody's going to do it, surely it's this generation of leaders. Okay, we're going to take a very quick break and when we come back I want to talk a little bit more about how Bronwyn has done what she's done and also the cost to her personally of being such a big change maker. Back in just a moment. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome back. Bronwyn King, let's talk a little bit about how you've done what you've done. And I was startled to read a comment from you quite some time ago when you spoke about the fact that although you turned your focus to the finance industry, not just in Australia, but around the world, you in fact didn't know anything about how it worked. And I'm just going to read this for everyone because this is an extraordinary quote. You said, I wasn't a researcher, I wasn't an expert in public health, and I certainly knew nothing at all about finance, nothing. I had no idea about the pension system or the superannuation system or the regulatory environment or how banks or insurance companies work or fund managers or anything in Australia, let alone globally. I had no background in that at all. What did you do? Did you go off and madly research or how, or did you fake it until you make it? I mean, how did you actually convince people that you understood how in big business, big finance, their industry worked and how they could do it differently? So that is true. That quote is entirely true. I didn't know anything at all. Um, <laughs> I have a very curious mind and I, th- I believe you can learn almost anything. You just have to spend some time doing it. And uh, so I got started immediately. 
and I started to learn everything I could. And I reached out to people I knew who worked in finance or accounting or um, banking. And then when that first fund went tobacco free, it was a great moment. I reached out to the CEO, who at the time was Michael Dwyer, and that, that fund was called First State Super. It's now got a different name and it's now the second biggest fund in Australia. But at the time, I reached out to Michael to say thank you for making such a great decision and we organised to meet. And it was one of those fabulous meetings that was meant to go for 20 minutes that went for an hour and a half Mm -hmm. and uh, we got along famously and he really took me under his wing and started to teach me about finance. Ah. And then he started to put me on stage at superannuation conferences and at first he would let me speak And then he would speak to fill in the parts that I didn't quite understand at that point. So he would use all of the more sophisticated finance and superannuation language. And then over the next couple of years, I started to speak the language and I started to meet more and more people. And I had coffee and lunch and breakfast and dinners and conferences with all of these leaders in finance. And so I completely became entrenched in the finance sector in Australia and Mm. I surrounded myself with these incredible people who were very very kind to me and taught me and took me on a journey that really took me from zero to being able to confidently present to the boards of some of the biggest financial institutions in Australia and now around the world. But early on you said you thought that some of them were really just humouring you because they knew that you didn't know much. They didn't tell they didn't tell true? me they did they didn't tell me that until about five years later. <laughs> and then some of them pulled me aside and said, you know, at the start, we just thought, oh, isn't she nice? She's a nice <laughs> doctor. Isn't she lovely? We'll just listen to her and she's trying to do something nice for her patients. Mm. But then they said, but it, eventually they said, yes, but she is making sense, isn't she? And what she's asking mm. is very reasonable. And of course, what I had to do strategically was find out what the barriers were and then workshop solutions. And so every time I found a barrier, every time I did a presentation, I would watch really closely to see what everybody or how everybody was reacting or which questions they were asking. And did they accept my answer or could I see that they they just weren't happy with what I'd said? And I was very, very critical of myself. And every time I'd go home and say, I need to answer that better. And I'd ring someone and I'd say, this is the question. This is the answer I gave. I got ignored. How do I answer that better? What do I need to know? And I would say to people, you know, I need help here because that this, this problem has to be fixed mm. and this mm. is a block. Let's work out how to get around this. And I did that time and time and time again. And so in terms of the general presentation that Tobacco Free Portfolios de- has delivered, it's been revised, I would say, close to a thousand times. Wow. Every time I take out the slides that are not resonating and I stick in a new one and I test it out and uh, and I work out how to connect better with the audience and I try to predict the tricky questions that they're going to come up with before they ask them. And I integrate that into the talk and make sure that I'm ticking every box before I get to the end. I've got to say, your energy makes my head spin. Um, I have read that you have attended over 2,000 meetings 
lobby. Oh, at least. At, at least. least. I and can't even, oh, so many, yes. Mostly thousands. coffee meetings. Do you really drink that much coffee? <laughs> it can be a problem, let me tell you that. If you have five or six or seven meetings in a day, my world record pre-pandemic was 11 meetings in one day in New York. Oh, my goodness. And uh, that included two dinners. I went. I had entree at one place and main course at the second oh, dinner. Oh, my goodness. But, but sometimes, no, sometimes I'll have to just <laughs> say no to the coffee because you can't have that many coffees in one day. Uh-huh. But um, but it's it has been such a such a nice way to meet people uh, I, I really don't like going into offices so much I think that you really make great connections with people outside of the actual meeting so that's why zoom isn't so exciting for me because it's you know you just turn it on and it's very it's very official and then you turn it off and that's done but I actually think the real magic with human connection is before the meeting, after the meeting, at the breakfast bar or at the, you know, while you're waiting in queue in the queue to get the taxi afterwards or in the lift when you're waiting to mm. come down from your, your room that morning to see the conference um, get started or something. So it's those little in-between moments that are super valuable when it comes to building relationships. And, and I think I'm just very lucky that naturally I'm a people person. I do love people. I just had my first big trip uh, since the pandemic and it was just lovely to see people in person mm. again and to, to feel some of that magic. Do you ever find yourself just too exhausted? <laughs> Absolutely. So I only really have two speeds and I so I don't do moderate or I, I just don't do moderate really in everything. I'm all on. I can on tell or, that. I can tell that. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's a personality thing. It was like with swimming. It was like with my schoolwork. It was like with studying medicine, and now it's with tobacco free. It's just it's sort of my personality setting. So I'm all on, and then I go on holidays, and I'm one of those people who is basically comatose for a week because I just I just have to completely recuperate. And yeah, so I I, I do of course need to completely stop a couple of times a year, but otherwise it's go, 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 go. Tell me about the barriers, the obstacles, and the moments when you have felt like the roadblock is 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 too big. It's 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 too too all encompassing. Have there been times when you thought, right, that's it. I've done I've done as much as I can. No, no, there hasn't I haven't got there yet. No. Mm-hmm. And I, I I so one of my things is that I I think that in the end I don't really hear the word no I interpret that as not yet I interpret that as you haven't done a good enough job yet Bronwyn so work a bit harder be a bit more strategic think a bit more deeply and come back and do that again that's what I hear so I don't hear no I just interpret that as um, I need to have another crack at it and over the years that has in fact been exactly what has happened people early on have thought oh you know this is not really for us or the conversation hasn't gone so well so what I try to do is just keep the conversation going courteously and and diplomatically and try to find any elements of connection that I can anything at all that we agree on and I come back and and have another go and over the years I have watched many, many organisations go from a hard, hard no to all the way through the journey of maybe we could consider this to, in fact, we could go tobacco-free, to let's do it, to make an announcement, to sign the pledge, which is the initiative we launched uh, before the pandemic during um, the UN General Assembly in 2018, sign the pledge, and even then become great advocates for us, perhaps even Mm -hmm. donating to tobacco-free portfolios or introducing us to 
to other organisations to encourage them. I'm fascinated to know, though, how you even mentally yourself switch when someone is an is a hard no to believing that you can get them across the line. And because I get asked this quite a bit, um, particularly from young women who are starting up campaigns, and occasionally I will find myself saying to them, "Stop investing so much time down that pathway. It's not working. Move it on. Go to the next one." How do you know? How do you know that it's worth persisting down a particular pathway if if it's a hard no? But it, well, it might be an issue of timing. So if you turn it around and think of, you know, who are you meeting at that organisation? So A, you might be meeting with the wrong person. Um, B, you might need to wait for that person to leave. Now, that's not a particularly <laughs> strategic thing, but I have done it. It's mm-hmm. like, radio, I am going to outlive you if I have to, but until you go, <laughs> I can't do anything. So you can accept that the timing is just bad and you have to wait. And then as soon as that person goes, you can come back in and start again or you meet somebody else there. It might be that there's some internal difficulties that you need to wait for them to clear. You might need to wait for your issue to, to percolate to the top of the agenda. So waiting for the right timing is everything and waiting for the right person is everything. Finding an internal champion in an organisation is key and there's always one. There's always one. So you just have to keep looking until you find one. But the other thing is because we're tiny, Tobacco Free Portfolios is a tiny organisation and there are so many great people for us in the world to go and meet and, and chat with. If someone, if an organisation is on pause for a bit, there's so many others for me to engage with that it doesn't matter. I mean, I could just be busy for the rest of my life. There's so many great people who do want to chat. So I can just devote my time to them for a bit and then come back when the time might be right with the others. Have there ever been times when it's been a little bit overwhelming um, given the the calibre of the people that you're meeting with? For example, you were invited to speak at the United Nations. You met with um, French President Macron. Any of those moments drew a little bit of nervousness from you or you just don't feel nervous? Oh, no, I do. But I think think one of the advantages of not coming from the finance sector – was that I never knew who all of the CEOs of the financial institutions were in the first place. So when someone said, go and meet Joe Bloggs, who's the CEO of this bank, it would mean absolutely nothing to me. Now, if I was meeting a professor of medicine, I would have got quite nervous thinking, oh, my goodness, you know, this is a real big week here. I have to be on my best behaviour. But to me, I think it was actually an advantage. And, in fact, the CEOs responded very well because I just spoke to them like normal people Mm. and they are normal people and I think that they appreciated that somebody would just come in and speak to them entirely normally not being completely overwhelmed with who they were Mm. of course it's different when you're talking about President Macron and so when I met him that was absolutely brilliant it was a a whole lot of miracles had to occur for that to happen so it was a very special moment and we took a selfie and let me tell you it's the only selfie I've ever taken with two hands and I had to use my second hand because I was shaking so much um, that it was like do not ruin this photo please don't mess this one up but the other thing in terms of feeling fear I, I, I want to say I did a TED talk in 2017 mm. and that was for me that was actually really I often say it's like my little Olympics that was my big moment and mm. It was extremely nerve-wracking to get on stage. There were 4,500 people there. There were 12 cameras. There's one shot Mm. and it it meant so much to me and I Mm. was absolutely terrified beforehand because I just wanted so much to do a good job. But it's worth pushing through the fear to do something that you really need to do. 
Yeah, absolutely. Your TED Talk is fantastic and it's been seen by, I think last I looked, over 3 million views or viewers. Um, and I couldn't agree more. I've done a TED Talk and, and I've done a thousand talks in my time and yet that was the most nerve-wracking I've ever done. And, and I've got to say, I it just almost, I almost collapsed with, not nerves, but just, I don't know, just the fear, no, not even fear, but just the sense that uh, it, it was so important to me to get it right, and exactly what you just said. So I relate to that. I just want to come back for a minute because I can't help but ask, Macron, what was he like? <laughs> well, I met him at the Opera House when he came to Australia in, in March of 2018, and the funny thing was I started the day in Melbourne without a ticket to the event, <laughs> and I finished the day taking a selfie with Macron at the Opera House. It was the most extraordinary day of my life. Um, so it was just, it was almost a dream because I knew I had to meet him. I had to meet him to get his support to have our event at the UN in, uh, in September of that year. And this was a big moment. So it was a dream of a day. But when I met him, uh, so I now going back to my school, Fintana um, taught, had a brilliant French teacher. And in fact, I do speak French. And so, of course, I'd planned a oh, beautiful course. French French uh, sentence or two to impress him with and of course I lost my mind and could hardly speak when I, <laughs> when I got to speak to him so I don't know what I said but eventually he was very nice and I told him what I did and uh, and he said well you must meet the health minister of France and I said oh I'd love to meet her you know I'm going to be in Paris next month that would be wonderful and he said no 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 you need to meet her right now follow me oh. and he marched me across the this beautiful uh, sort of dining room in the opera house that had been set up and he marched me across the floor to go and meet his health minister and uh, and there I was walking behind the President of France who's introducing me to someone and the next day someone said, oh, you met the French health minister, how did you meet her? And <laughs> oh, I well, said, the oh, President well, introduced me. <laughs> I said, oh, well, President Macron introduced me? And I, to me it was just the most ridiculous <laughs> thing to have ever been uttered. But uh, it, it was a really amazing moment and, look, I... Um, I'm a huge fan of, of President Macron, obviously. I think that, you know, France has, in fact, despite this image that the French are obsessed with tobacco, France has, in fact, been extremely bold on tobacco control. But for our work, we now have the support of almost all of the big French banks, the big French insurers, the French Sovereign Wealth Fund, and and it's some of them have become our greatest advocates globally. So it's been a, yeah. a wonderful relationship and I... I'm a bit of a francophile, so I'm super happy that it's France. <laughs> <laughs> well, well done there. Um, I, I must, I must have a look at that selfie. Uh, we're going to have to finish up shortly, but I do want to ask you just a couple of more things. One in particular about the cost of being a change maker. Now, I, I know you no longer work um, at Peter Mac as uh, as a, a, a lung cancer specialist, and you are full time doing what you're doing. But I'm interested to know: has there been a personal cost? in doing what you do? Oh, definitely. And it's something I don't really speak about very often because I am suddenly optimistic and glass half full. But when I stop and think about it, so it's been a massive, massive commitment for me, but also for my family. Unfortunately, we have never received um, sustainable funding for our work, which has been very, you know, very disappointing. So we have never had funding um, except for a couple of donors in Australia. So I only worked in a completely voluntary capacity for the first eight years of oh. this work. 
And I never. I'm amazed to hear that. Absolutely yeah. stunned to hear that because you you are dealing in the financial sector. I would have thought you had very solid funding for what you do. No, so I've had to learn the hard way that that just doesn't happen. Um, certainly not in Australia. It's been really very disappointing. And so we've actually had more funding for our US work and our UK work and European work. And so I've been in this ridiculous situation where our global team has had funding, but I haven't, and our team in Australia hasn't. So we do have a couple of donors now, which is absolutely wonderful, but we are seeking more sustainable support. And we'd love for some of that to be government support. Uh, So that has been really very, very tough for us. Um, And so the personal cost has been absolutely enormous on our family, um, which has been that wasn't what I intended to do, but I do feel very guilty about that when I think of my kids and, you know, obviously I would have liked to have provided a bit more financially for, for them, but that's, that's, just how it, that's just how it's been. But I think the other thing to say is, though, on the, on the flip side, the other thing about the cost and being away so much, so prior to the pandemic I was away about 100 days a year, which is a lot when you have two little boys, but I was very lucky to be awarded and, and, and very thrilled to be awarded the Melbourneian of the Year mm. Award in 2019. And my two boys came along to the ceremony and they saw the whole thing and I wanted them to be there because I thought, you know, they pay a big price for this and I wanted them to see that the work was recognised and that it was um, it was really valued, not just by me but by other people who really thought it was important. And about six months later I was shopping with the boys and we were at Minimax shopping mm. and I'd, I'd brought some some glasses up to the counter and the lady was putting them through and she said oh did you bring your Minimax card and I said no 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 I didn't but just uh, uh, maybe I'll give you my name and she said yes give me your name and I started to say my name and at Mm -hmm. that time one of my sons was six and he put his hand on his hip and at the top of his voice he said she's Bronwyn King Melbourneian of the year Oh, bless him. That's and beautiful. I thought, well, you know, at the end of the day, if I can make my boys proud and mm. make them realise that that it's worthwhile doing good things and living a life of purpose, then then at the end of the day I'm very, very happy with what I've done. Well, that is such a beautiful way to put it. And throughout what you were saying about the, the, the professional cost in terms of income and what have you, I was thinking that, you know, gosh given what you do, the value of what you do and the legacy of that too, for goodness sakes, is just so, it, it's enormous. It's it's incalculable, I think. Bronwyn, I could go on talking to you all day, but unfortunately we do have to leave it there. But it's been such an incredible delight um, meeting you, albeit online in this way and, and having this conversation. Thank you so, so much for joining Broad Talk and the Changemaker series. Thank you so much, Virginia. And thank you for staying with us up to this point. It's been, as you could, well, I'm sure like me, you think this has been a fantastic conversation to listen to. Um, I'm so inspired by all the women we've got in this incredible series and there's many, many more to come. So do stick with us and share us your thoughts about the women that uh, we're speaking with. Do you sense that Australia produces a special breed of women changemakers? Because something I've been mulling over a lot and I'd love to know what you think. Let me know. You can find Broad Talk at all the usual places, Facebook, Insta. You can uh, email me on hello at broadtalk.net and check out our website, broadtalk.net.au, where my blog posts are slowly building, albeit slowly. Subscribe and our cyber pigeon will deliver the occasional newsletter with my Broad Talk ponderings into your 
inbox. So before we chat again, download Broad Talk and any new episode will drop into your pod feed each week. So rate it, review it, all those sorts of things you're supposed to do, which I don't fully understand, but I'm told you're supposed to do them. And don't forget, most of all, keep talking. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.